Mama is treating me to breakfast. Yep, let me see your phone. Huh? Look here. I download this McDonald's app because when you buy any bagel sandwich like the steak, egg, and cheese bagel, you get one free. Wait, you just bought that on my phone. That's right. Now that you got McDonald's money, you could treat Mama. <laughs> okay, Ma, you got it. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Valid through 10-222 at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. App download and registration required. Welcome back, you beautiful souls. We are beginning our sex series. I've been so excited about bringing this to you. I can't even tell you how excited I've been. So to kick it off, we are starting with an interview with a health nurse, and we are talking about some juicy stuff. I'm warning you. We get into some serious details over the next many podcasts in different ways. So strap on and get ready because we're about to talk about sex. Let's talk about sex, baby. Welcome to Fear It Goes, the podcast all about taking your fears with you and doing it anyway. I'm your host, Brandi Taylor. Hi, Megan. It's so great to have you here. Thank you so much for being on Fear It Goes and being a part of our sex series. It's so exciting. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for acknowledging uh, this whole wonderful realm of sex. Yay! Who doesn't love sex? Did I just say that? (laughs) We are talking about communication and the things we should consider with our partners. Yeah, the fun communication. Because actually, it can really be fun. You can turn it into something so fun and so kinky. Like, talk during sex. Tell tell each other what you like, what's working. And it's so much sexier. And... So I'm not sure where this podcast is actually going to lay out in the spectrum of the series, but in the BDSM, we talk about the conversations had prior and how important they are to set, set some guidelines with each other, have the conversations with each other and the beauty of having conversations with your partner. And yes, it's very vulnerable. It is. There's no denying that that's a vulnerable moment with your partner, but that's also one of the best connectors you'll ever experience because you're both vulnerable in that moment. And it's going to lead to better sex. It does. Because you're going to trust your partner more. With more trust, you can let go. If you're letting go more, you're having better orgasms. Not just, or- oh yeah, and ultimately, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I want better let's orgasms. Not, let's not get ourselves here. <laughs> We all want spectacular, mind-blowing, head-fall-off-your-shoulders kind of for orgasms. some people, that's not the end game for them. No. Nope. There's lots of people that are practicing really beautiful relationships, and orgasm isn't their... Their uh, primary goal. Mm-hmm. Yes. But um, <laughs> when it comes to having really great sex, and, and really genuinely great sex, it's through our ability to be able to be really good communicators with our partners, being open, honest, truthful... And saying things like, I've, I've contracted this virus. I just think that you should know this. Um, I haven't had an outbreak in 10 years. Or I just contracted it. I just or found I out. Or I have had recent outbreaks, but I'm yep. on medication that drastically reduces the likelihood of me passing it yep. to my partner. And, and so that we're clear and that I'm, I'm giving you this respect. And then there's also the other side of being able to communicate the things that we really want when we're with our partners. Mm-hmm. And it 
does lead to a lot more adventurous fun. Yes. And honestly, that's part of the joy of sex is being able to have fun. Treat it like you're a kid exploring because you are. (laughs) (laughs) Because you are. And it's an amazing opportunity to really be able to share something spectacular with someone else, communicate through that means, and really be able to connect with your partner. Another really important piece around communication is for any of us that are dealing with um, trauma in our past. So um, there's so many, unfortunately, the statistics are really, really high that we have dealt with assaults. We have dealt with different um, not good sexual experiences that have really harmed us. So if we are able to communicate to our partners that these things have happened, so if all of a sudden my partner does something and I say, Whoa, Whoa, that's reminding me of my past. I need a moment. Not only is my partner very able to quickly step out of the situation and be my support person, right. I'm not absolutely hurting them either by saying whoa because they've already been kind of given a heads up. Because lots of times when we say, whoa, stop, if we haven't had these beautiful communication, then I, it's very easy for us to be like, <gasps> I did something wrong. Oh my God. And beat ourselves up. So we need to talk about that. So it's like, nope, don't touch my head there. Don't do these certain things because that just triggers my past trauma. And if we explore what our past trauma is, hopefully with a healthcare provider, a therapist, um, you're going to be much easier able to explore sex in a healthy way. Healthy way. Um, So it's really important to, for us, for the individuals that have dealt with it to continue to deal with it in a healthy way and to talk to our partners about it so that they can be our most wonderful support when something has happened and help us safe and get better uh, healing through our sexual practices. Well, and, and being able to say, no, that's a trigger, then they know not to do that again. And they don't take that personally and they don't, they don't feel like you've done something to them in that moment that triggers something for them. You just have an opportunity to just be honest in you and they have the opportunity to hold the space for you to be honest in you. Yes. All of you. Mm-hmm. Good, bad, and ugly, right? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. For any women more prone to urinary tract infections, mm. let's talk about that for a moment. So we need to really think about our anatomy. What's happening with our anatomy? So if you think um, at the top of the pubic bone is our mons pubis, and then right underneath that is our clitoral hood. So obviously clitoral hood, clitoris, that's uh, where many of us like to be touched. That's where a lot of our nerve endings are. So that's a great place for us to touch ourselves, for our partners to touch. Then obviously our vaginal opening, um, that has lots of sensation there. And that likes to be touched. That's where things go. That's our hole. Okay? (laughs) So we have our clitoral hood. We have our hole. In between that is our urethra. Our urethra is really sensitive um, for anybody that has a potential for UTIs. And so that's where bacteria gets uh, backed up. So that's why after sex, you're supposed to pee to just flush your urethra to help prevent UTIs. But if you're already like, oh my God, I get UTIs all the time. Well, then you don't want to be playing in that middle land. You can play at clitoral hood. You can play at uh, vaginal opening, but don't go in the middle lane. Okay, so how do you avoid that? Because it's all pretty close together. 
you just think about where it is. Get a mirror out and explore yourself. Okay, this is this part. This is this part. And then some people really enjoy urethral play, but they're typically not the ones prone to UTIs. And unfortunately, right. if that's what you enjoy, well, you're going to continue getting UTIs. It's just basically if you're prone to UTIs, that's your no play zone. So you need to know about your no play zone and so do your partners. And it's really interesting to just get out the anatomy map and say, I like being touched here. I like being touched here. Don't touch me here because <laughs> as soon as I have a UTI, we're not having sex. We want to have sex. Right, because they hurt. <laughs> yes. Yes, they hurt. They're not fun. And if you're prone to UTIs, you may not be able to engage in the same amount of anal play because as soon as you're talking about the anus, you're talking about more bacteria. If you're introducing right. potential more bacteria other places, well, then you're looking at increased potential for UTIs, increased potential for bacterial vaginosis as well. Bacterial vaginosis is when the good bacteria, lactobacilli, die off opportunistic bacteria take over so that's when the vagina has kind of that fishy smell so if uh, you like to have anal play you want to have condom anal play barrier anal play you don't want to be obviously going back and forth we can't do that but even if you're not going back and forth you don't want penises one day going in the bum and not being covered and then going into our vagina the next day because some of that bacteria is going to get backed up inside the penis and then if there's any ejaculation or fluid bonding, then you're taking that bum bacteria, putting in the vagina and leading us to fishy smelling vaginas, which leads to less sex. Again, <laughs> sex ed 101, because these are just things I didn't know. The things I didn't know, I think that's what I'm going to, I'm going to call this podcast episode, things I didn't know. <laughs> and yes, there's going to be lots of people that say, oh, I have lots of anal play and I don't have bacterial vaginosis. And that's awesome if you're one of those people. But if you're prone to these infections, it's one of those extra steps, extra measures that we can think about to help decrease the likelihood of it. So if you're like, yeah, I get BV all the time will have covered anal play. And uh, if you're like, yeah, I get UTIs all the time. Well, don't play around the urethra. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll call it that. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> is there any symptoms? Is there any specific things that people should be aware of? Um, like you just said, if it's if it's smelling a little fun, funny or funky, you know, you probably have an infection and you should get it checked. And it may not be a sexually transmitted infection because bacterial vaginosis, not a sexually transmitted infection. Um, lots of sex can increase the likelihood of habit or new sex partners, but it's not a sexually transmitted infection. So again, anything outside of your normal, if you're having discharge from the penis, you're having discharge from the vagina, you're having discharge from the rectum, none of that is good if it's different from your normal discharge. Right. So come and get tested. If you're like, yeah, I'm just having lots of awesome sex. Well, guess what? Part of having lots of awesome sex is having lots of awesome STI testing too, because that's just going to increase your confidence and ability to have better sex. Dear God, we all want to have good sex. <laughs> and Actually, the awesome other... sex. Let me rephrase that. Awesome <laughs> sex. Not good sex. No, no. Awesome <laughs> sex. Next level. <laughs> The other thing is if all of a sudden you have lumps, bumps, open sores on your genitals, don't wait to see if that's going to go away. If you're like, mm, I think that it's an ingrown hair. Oh, I think it's razor burn. Oh, I think it's a yeast infection. Don't think. Go to your healthcare provider and know. 
have them look, have them swab, have them determine what it is. Because lots of times I can think that I have something and I Google it and Google isn't really that helpful for determining these things. Oh, so WebMD. WebMD is going to tell us we have cancer and tell us that we have HIV. And that we're dying tomorrow. Yes, which <laughs> nobody with HIV is going to die tomorrow. So, <laughs> so it's not helpful to actually go and have it checked out. So, And for lots of us women, we've never been um, told that it's okay to look at our own anatomy. So if you've never looked at your anatomy, please go get your mirror now. Look at it. Because I have so many older women that they're like, I have a bump. I'm like do you? I'm like, how long has it been there? And they're like, I have no idea because it was the first time I've ever looked at my anatomy. I'm like, well, okay, let's have a look at this bump. Sometimes it's normal and perfect and healthy, but we don't know if we don't know what we look like. So it's really important to know what our normal is. So when we're masturbating, then we can feel something and be like, that's a new bump. I can say, it's been there for this many days or this many weeks. And that's good information to have. Um, so you want to pay attention to anything that's new. You want to know what your normal is. And if you have questions about, is this normal? Well, ask your healthcare provider. Ask your healthcare provider. Get checked. Get your shots. Holy cow, I'm going in for shots. I didn't even know I needed to get them. And now I absolutely have to go get them. <laughs> <laughs> There's the myth in uh, the community that I can have oral sex and I'm not at risk for STIs. This is absolutely incorrect. We can get chlamydia in our throats. We can get gonorrhea in our throats. We can transmit syphilis. Syphilis is making a huge comeback. We do not want syphilis because the treatment for it is very painful. So we we want to think about, um, yeah, oral sex is can be really healthy, can be really fun, but we want to talk to our partners. And if you're trying to mitigate lessen risk, then you're having barrier sex. And if you're like, I want to have barrier free sex, then you're going and getting testing done once you have testing and then taking away barriers or then introducing oral sex. But there's this whole myth that oral sex kind of comes before uh, any type of penetrative sex when we don't cover anything for oral sex typically. So there's a lot of STI transmission right now through oral sex that people are like, I had no idea that I could transmit that. Oh, and so testing for that is as simple as a throat swab. Yes. A throat swab for chlamydia and gonorrhea or your blood work for syphilis. Not really invasive, but extremely important to be tested because you can carry this without even knowing it for a long period of time mm-hmm. and pass it on. And it's important for lots of people that so it's confusing on who gets a throat swab and who doesn't. So for the longest time, we only thought if there's a penis in the mouth, then that's who gets a throat swab. But then it comes back to our whole biases around heterosexual uh, sex versus gay sex. Um, whereas really, if there's any type of um, toy, uh, penis going into the mouth, doesn't matter if it's a girl penis, doesn't matter if it's a boy penis, then if there's penetration into the mouth, then we're swabbing the throat. Okay, so thinking about this, what does that mean for oral sex if it's a guy on a girl? Because there's still... There's still fluid exchange, but it's not at the same, um, it's not getting to the very back of the throat. Uh, And so that, we have to think about anatomy and the cells that like to grow these different infections. Um, 
syphilis, highly contagious. So syphilis, yeah, either way, doesn't matter. But for mm. chlamydia and gonorrhea, typically when there's penetration. So if you're sucking on a strap on that has genital fluids on it, then we're going to swab your throat. If you're sucking on, again, lots of our females out there are trans sisters. They have a girl penis. So right. if you're sucking on a girl penis, you still need your throat swabbed. Uh, if we're sucking on a boy penis, we're getting our throat swabbed. If you're like, you know what? I just want to know. Well, ask your healthcare provider. We're never going to say, no, you don't need that. If you really want something and you can be like, yeah, I've had a lot of fluid there. Well, then you can argue that. You get to, again, drive your health care. We'll try and give education and guidance. But if you're asking for something and it's not um, an uneducated request, then we're going to listen. And really, if you have not had all these tests done, it just makes sense to do a base. Like yes. to have your your normal know that everything's clean that your throat is good that there's no infection from any areas or any spaces even if you're not necessarily like um you and i had talked about anal play and it's mm -hmm. not something that i'd participated in and but but i still got tested because fluids move around we, as women, um, in a healthy way, wipe front to back. So we can introduce um, infections into the rectum just by simply going to pee. Or there's a theory, um, there's not a lot of evidence that supports it, but there's a theory out there that through oral sex, um, chlamydia and gonorrhea gets introduced into our digestive tract and maybe it travels all the way down to the rectum. Um, mm. Even with our sex toys, maybe I don't uh, allow penises in my bum, but I put a toy in my bum. So then... That potentially uh, can pass fluids. So right. again, for a baseline, it's not a bad idea to have your bum swabbed. Um, or and if, the whole workup, like the throat swab, the blood work, the just have test, it all done. The throat, yeah. And for us women out there, before you always had a speculum exam when you had testing done. Uh, if you're not having symptoms, um, you can have a urine test instead of a speculum exam. So for so many women, they're like, oh, I don't want to have testing done. I find that really invasive. I don't want to mm -hmm. do that, especially if it's a new healthcare provider. You don't have any rapport with them. You don't necessarily <laughs> want that. Hi, stranger. Please do all these things to me. Stick <laughs> things everywhere possible. Mm -hmm. And again, for anybody that's had any trauma in the past, well, a speculum exam done by... Um, a healthcare provider can be re-traumatizing if there's not good communication. So again, there has to be that good piece of communication. So you can have urine testing done. So there's different ways of testing. So you just need to let your healthcare provider know and just say, oh, I'm not having symptoms. I prefer to have it this way. And it's great that you now know that there is another way because I didn't know that you could go non-speculum. Mm-hmm. Yay! Yay! If I'm Yay. going and having testing every three months, I do not want a speculum exam every single time I do that. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and guys complain about a little finger up their butt. <laughs> well, let's talk about the men because there's a lot of men that back in the day, every time they went, then uh, they had a urethral swab done. Well, we oh, don't wow. do that either. So yes, if you're having symptoms or you're a sexual contact, that's an option. Again, you own your body. You can say no to that option. We'll talk about the pros and cons of that decision, but you always get to say no. Your healthcare provider doesn't get to just say this is what's happening. You own your body. You can, uh, again, tell them what uh, you want. But again, if you have a really great healthcare provider, they're going to say, well, if you're not doing that, this is what you're missing out on. 
Right. So you do not need to have a urethral swab. You'll have urine testing done. If you don't have any symptoms, you're not a sexual contact infection. So for all of the uh, males out there, if that's a worry for them, then certainly they can do urine testing. And prostate has come a long way also. More often than not, you don't have to get the finger. (laughs) You're not getting that at the STI clinic. (laughs) (laughs) It's blood work now, I understand. And it's supposed to be quite quite accurate, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah. And for a lot of our individuals that are dealing with um, body dysphoria or if they're in transition and they're um, not wanting to have a full physical exam, I hope that you find a healthcare provider that you feel safe and confident to have a physical exam with. But if you're not, again, you can do urine testing. So that's really important because our trans individuals are not getting the care that they need. And um, please know that you need care. And uh, if you're sexually active, then this is still part of normal, um, healthy sex is that you need to go and have that testing done. So uh, just know that there's lots more people going through transition um, that for whatever reason, they've had terrible times with their healthcare providers and as healthcare providers we're we know that and we're sorry and we want you to come back because we're ready to see you so let's say actually i can't even imagine the transgender is experiencing really bad things with their doctor like their gp let's Mm say um would that be typical testing they'd have through their gp because i know like my gp can do it yeah Certainly can. I prefer not to do it with my GP. Um, So that's another thing I suggest to people that, again, if you're one of these frequent flyers that are having awesome testing done every three months, well, maybe you go to an STI clinic um, one month and then three months later you go to your family doctor. Three months later you go to a clinic so that you're not putting the burden on one part of the system. Because if you have a, a GP Well, part of their job is your whole health. Again, sexual health is part of your whole health. So if you have a GP that's saying, no, I won't do STI testing, that's a big red flag. Again, there's no shame in sexual health. And so there should be no um, ability for them to say, no, I'm not taking care of that part of your body because it's really important to body parts. We want to take care of them. And if your doctor is saying, no, I won't do that, I, I would be really surprised (laughs) well it turns out there's lots of doctors that do that Hmm. there is no shame and this is i think one of the biggest um reasons i i'm putting out this series is because i really want you to feel free to explore who you are in every way Mm -hmm. and sexual health is very freeing for you as a person it's a big part of ways that we communicate with our partners and are able to share and connect with our partners. And it's a beautiful way to explore. Absolutely. And it's fun. And And it doesn't stop at any of the ages either. So for all of our older listeners, when they're being told by their doctors, oh, you don't need that test. Oh my God. Absolutely. Have confidence (laughs) that uh, you are sexually active and healthy. And please tell your healthcare provider that yes, you absolutely do need that testing because you are still sexually active. Oh, oh, and I've heard some very interesting stories about... um, about the older generation and STIs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Because they aren't being tested often enough. They're not being tested often enough. And um, many of them are coming from monogamous relationships. So either through divorce or through death that uh, all of a sudden they're entering new relationships. Well, these are people that never used barriers before. So to tell somebody... And can't get pregnant. So... There's not that. But if I have really bad arthritis, do I even have the ability to put a condom on correctly? Like, I may not. I may be able to have really awesome sex, but just to be able to do that may not be an option. So again, if I'm not using condoms, I need testing more frequently. Just keep that in mind. Using and even if you're even if you are using condoms, that doesn't guarantee that you're not going to get something. So you should be tested anyway. There's human error, and if you like to dip the tip before you put that condom on, you are potentially transmitting STIs. After you take that condom off, there's still lots of fluid there, so you don't get to cuddle yet. You have to go wash your genitals, get rid of the fluid um, before you get to cuddle. Um, Which how many people do you know do that? Oh, none. We all want right? that oxytocin uh, release of cuddling <laughs> right afterwards. Like, that's just weird. I'm, excuse me, I'm just going to get up and take a shower. All right. <laughs> so take the condom off and then put the towel in between while you're cuddling <laughs> so you're not having that fluid exchange. <laughs> so awkward. So awkward. <laughs> no, honey, please put the towel there. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're going through the... <laughs> the sexual experience and trying to not be fluid bonded, you right. really have to think about what that means from beginning to end. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And aftercare. <laughs> <laughs> STIs are terrible in old folks homes. Mm-hmm. It can mm. be because lots of times you'll only have a certain amount well, there's only so many older men. Right. Uh, and then of that older men, how many are still interested in sex? And then how many are you able to perform? Right. Um, so then if uh, there's a smaller population, they can service a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of the women. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Johnny got lucky tonight many times. <laughs> And we want to think about anybody that um, intellectually challenged. They're certainly still uh, have the ability to be sexually active. Right. So they still need testing. They need support because um, maybe they have a harder time figuring out where they go to get testing um, and accessing testing. And so if you're thinking, of, oh, I know somebody that... Uh, is uh, a bit more intellectually challenged and maybe sexual, well, be that awesome human being in their life and drive them into a clinic so they, they can have testing done. And make sure that you understand for yourself and all the partners that you may have over your lifetime or the people that you help, that there's no shame in sex. Sex is something that everybody has the opportunity to experience from a very, very healthy perspective And I hope with all of my being that this is one of the big takeaways that you get from these episodes is that there is nothing shameful around sex. There's nothing shameful around masturbation. It's not something to shame. It's something to celebrate. Um, And it just has a lot of ability to bring us all joy and to uh, feel companionship and and connectedness connectedness and Mm. we just want to do it in a manner that makes us all feel a bit safer and the more we talk about it 
the safer we're going to be. And that talking is the first step into mm. testing and into helping our partners be um, in that vulnerable position so we can have that wonderful sexual experiences if that's what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on and educating me because it seems there was a lot that I didn't know. (laughs) Good God, how do I not know these things? But how do we not know these things? So it's people like you that bring to light a lot of information that we do need to know so that we can go out and be a lot safer for ourselves and for any of our partners. And we really want to advocate really good sex education in our school systems. Agreed. And that starts at a lot younger than what people really think about. We want to start talking about consent and boundaries at very young ages. We want to um, allow LGBTQI um, populations to be seen and visualized and talked about so that it's normal and healthy. And um, all of these things are being attacked in our school systems right now, and it's not okay. And for all of the people that just think that somebody else is going to do it and somebody else is going to do it, well, no, we all need to be together and act and advocate advocate stronger for our youth uh, because they are dying and our suicide risks are so high because there's not enough information and there's or people support. that are feeling very isolated and alone. And as soon as that happens, then they're very vulnerable. We don't want our young people to be vulnerable. The more education they have, the more confidence they have, and the more ability they have to fight for their own sexual health and to have better sexual experiences. And just for their wholeness. This is just part of who you are. And once we acknowledge that this is just part of who we are, this is, there, there is no separation. Sex isn't something separate from us. It's part mm-hmm. of us. And there's, again, no shame in anything wrapped around sex. So let's advocate. And I agree. Sex should be taught earlier on. And speaking of consent, that is probably coming up right after this one. I, I'll run it right after this extremely important to understand the difference between consent and excited, exuberant, whatever consent with both parties and, and to have these conversations with your kids. I am starting to have these conversations with my kids and my kids aren't even at that stage yet. We're, we're having very funny conversations around masturbation and things changing, (laughs) things changing in the body and that it's okay. And that it's okay. I don't ever want them to feel shame around who they are or the things they want to explore. And we want our young people to know that it's okay to, I don't want to hug that person. So they get to say, no, this is my body. I don't want to do that. The more our young little people say no, the more they're able to say no when they're teenagers and... um, Put in different positions mm -hmm. that, yes, could be very challenging. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Women have not been given the strong voice that we need. And so we are going to mother and help support all of these young people to be much more confident so that uh, we are not being taken advantage of. And that goes for all of our young people. We don't want vulnerable, young. We want strong, confident young people. Young people, women and men, because I I can't think that it's healthy for a boy either to feel that he's done something that's really wrong. 
or that he has to have all the answers and that he has to be able to figure it out because how our young people are trying to figure out sex is through porn. And when you oh look God, at the, uh, the statistics of of the amount of porn our young people are being exposed to, it Age means 10. that we have to talk about it. We don't get just to gloss it over and say, don't look at that. We need to really look at what that means, uh, how that is changing their perspectives on healthy relationships. So we really need to have those um, really honest conversations. So I actually came across, this is funny that we're talking about this. I actually came across... Uh, TED talk or something like it, a talk on how porn has affected our youth and what it's doing. Mm-hmm. And exposure to porn starts by the age of 10. Now, 10. So I'm thinking I have an 11 and 12 year old. I have two boys and I'm thinking, oh my God, are, are they already watching porn? And if they are, what does this mean to them? Because Likely they're not actively watching. They're it. actually not. They're, they're, not at that stage yet. However, I do want to have the conversations around it so that they understand that what happens in traditional porn isn't necessarily a guideline for what sex and and healthy sex would look like. Mm -hmm. So if, again, if we are advocating for really good sex education in schools, then we are having really good uh, sexual health educators talking about this and talking about what healthy sex is and what porn sex is. So young people don't think that cum shots on the face is a normal part of sex and that they get to say no and they aren't pushed into anal sex right now there's so much anal sex in porn and i've discussed anal sex lots um on this segment but that's not something that is easy to communicate or easy to do it's very easy to rip and tear and to cause a high degree of trauma so Mm -hmm. we have young people that are being injured we have young people that don't know how to say no that are being preyed upon and that other people think that well it's easy i just stick these things in here no it takes a lot of preparation a lot of communication a lot of lubrication and so it's not something that young people should just be going for and there's this whole myth oh well if i have well it's not a myth if you have anal sex then you're not going to become pregnant so then there's the reason for that but there's a lot higher risk involved uh in that and it's just we want to really talk about to our young people what healthy sexuality is versus porn and there's so many different things that uh, porn is just teaching people to make all these crazy sounds to do all these different things that are like is that really what you enjoy like let's get back to Uh let's teach our young people to masturbate so they know what their body feels like what their normal is and so that they can identify this is how i like to be touched and if they feel anything besides how they like to be touched then they're able to be confident enough to say slow down i don't like i don't like that i recognize that's not something that is that's not my thing Mm mm-hmm and being able to communicate that to their partner. Yes. Because, I, I mean, as much as porn can be fun, it also can be extremely destructive to use that as the, the standard for what sex looks like. Yes. And I've had some interesting conversations with some young millennials. I don't know how this has come up in conversation because it's not normal to come up in conversation. <laughs> I never have normal conversations. Um, but just around, like, 
not necessarily promiscuity, but just their concepts and their belief systems around what sex is and how adventurous they are at a very, very young age. And there's nothing wrong with exploring sexuality, but to what extent and does it harm them? So there's nothing, again, there's nothing wrong with exploration as long as it's very truly consensual instead mm-hmm. of a, I feel like I, I, I have to do this or I saw it there. So that's what I'm supposed to do mm-hmm. instead of this is actually something I want to do. This is something I want to, I want to try, or this is not something I want to try. Mm-hmm. And they need to be able to make those choices from a very educated standpoint, not a porn educated standpoint. Absolutely. Now porn is coming slowly there are some very interesting, um, I, I was really hoping to get her on the podcast, but I have not been able to, um, but there are some very interesting providers that are coming out with a very different viewpoint of porn. So it's, it's showing more of the connection in the relationship and the loving experience that two people have when they have sex. I mean, it's still porn. Typically, if you're having a female director, mm. then you are getting a bit different uh, quality Viewpoint. of uh, porn. And so we we want people to understand what their own orgasms are like and that it's okay if you reach that and it's okay if you don't. don't. Yeah. And um, there's so much emphasis in porn on how to have orgasms and it's just so directive. There's not enough variation and there's so much emphasis on the male doing things to the woman and the woman being the submissive, vulnerable person. I don't want any young person to feel that they're vulnerable. They have absolutely all the control over their own body. Yes. Yeah. And so that's what I worry about a lot. Just like our young gay men, they're at times being preyed upon and they're watching really, um, in the gay community. Um, there's a lot more, um, bondage and leather in some of their, um, porn. And so it's, if they're being exposed to that and thinking that that is normal, then they're, being pressured into consenting to things that really they may not be ready to consent to. Or that they may not want to ever consent to necessarily. Mm -hmm. I mean, some people, yay, all the power to you. Some people know, and you need to know what your yes and no is. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Erica Lust is the one I was hoping to get on here. Um, She is an incredible director, producer. Actually, I don't even know if she's directing. I think she is, um, but she has a porn company and she does some of the most amazing films and they're very, very different than any of the traditional porn you've watched or have not watched. <laughs> Depends, <laughs> <laughs> but they are not your typical porn. And I love that she's bringing something very, very different to, to the scene because I mean, ultimately Porn is going to exist. So why not change the face of it so that we can see the genuineness of what sex can be, what sex is, instead of what sex was. Because I think porn, when we look at traditional porn, it was really a it was really a pretense of what sex used to be like before women had any rights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like really, if I, I think about it. 
It's it, because a very it's, good example of objectivity and making women into sex objects. Well, sex objects submissive. And a lot of times women aren't submissive. No. And sometimes men are submissive. And sometimes that's really fun. Yeah. So what, what porn dictates should never be the guide for what people think sex is. And I'm, I'm really glad that there's other ways of viewing what sex is yeah. for Very people to view. for our men. Our men get to have lots of choice, but porn takes away those choices from us. Well, and it's interesting too, because porn also shows women with usually these incredible bodies. They're usually perfect or they have very disproportional bodies or, and same thing with men. Mm -hmm. So men in porn don't typically have the standard equipment. Sometimes they do, but not really. Usually they come with some serious equipment and that's gotta be pretty hard for some of the guys coming out going, I don't have that. Yeah, I'm not eight inches. I'm four inches. You know what? That's okay. And trust me, some women would much prefer your four than your eight. Absolutely. There's this whole myth of size queens, and some people do like that. But there's lots of people, especially if you're shorter, well, you cannot take that much penetration on your cervix. That's going to cause you pain. And right. if you're having pain, you're having cramping after sex, then sometimes that can be a reason for testing, but it can also just mean that your partner is um, having too much penetration in a forceful manner, and you need to listen to your body and say, I can't have sex in this way. Because you don't want to hurt yourself. <laughs> Some people love it. There's a big variety <laughs> and we all get to say what we like and what we don't like. But it's okay if, if you're having pain and you're like, oh my God, I'm cramping every time I have sex. Well, talk to your partner about it if you've had all testing done and be like, you know what? This isn't the type of sex that I want. Right. Right. And again, I think that's really important to know that what you see in porn isn't necessarily what goes on in the real world. You cannot shove large objects into somebody's asshole without lubrication and proper prep. Do not try and do that. Please don't try and do that. You also have to acknowledge that everybody's body is different. So one vagina will be a different length than another and can accept bigger or smaller mm -hmm. penises. And, and that's genuinely an issue with porn we see like these monstrous in in some cases and they're just they just take it no problem and everything's great well what's wrong with me mm -hmm. nothing's wrong with you you're just not equipped for that type there's of a wide variety of normal and i have so many people that come into my office and they're like is my anatomy normal I'm like, is your anatomy healthy? Absolutely. Normal doesn't exist. <laughs> That's like, right. There's no normal, but we, because there's such a small um, window into porn and people are only ex able to exist in those bodies, then for the rest of us that have different looking bodies, we feel like we're not normal when it's like, absolutely, you have beautiful, healthy anatomy, like go enjoy it. And exactly. there's so many people that are feeling so much shame again and worry because they're or they self consciousness. Haven't, they or haven't been given um, proper education. Proper education. How many women have never seen another woman's vulva? They have no idea besides what porn shows them. Okay, so that's actually a very funny statement that you made because coming out of a marriage, I hadn't really looked at mine and I had Absolutely. nothing to compare it to. And then, really, what do you have to compare it to? Um, porn. That's it. 
that's it. And you're like, is this normal? Is this good? Is this bad? Like, I have no clue. Typically porn, they have no hair and they do not have uh, longer inner labias or asymmetrical labias and they have bleached assholes. Right. So for the rest (laughs) of us, that's not what our anatomy looks like. (laughs) So so true. (laughs) So true. Oh my God, that's so funny. But we're never given uh, anything that, for all the beautiful people out there that have different looking labias, they're all supposed to look like different types of flowers. There are some beautiful projects right now going on for feminist uh, individuals trying to empower other women to be like, actually, these are all examples of perfectly healthy, beautiful labias. Even though you don't think so, because you've only seen the representation in one way. Or your partner has told you that you are um, different Mm. or you do not have the right anatomy. Don't put up with that. You got a question. I would, if that ever comes up, you have to question where is your partner getting that information and, and who cares really Mm -hmm. in the end, who cares where he gets his information or she gets her information, Mm -hmm. whichever way this goes. Um, It's, I think it's crucial that you just acknowledge that this is your body and you get to love it. You get to love it for all it is and your partner should love it for all it is too. Mm -hmm. Don't let somebody tell you how to have sex, how to enjoy your body. That's for you to uh, decide and uh, make those decisions and see your healthcare provider if you have worries so you can dismantle those worries so you can go on and have better decisions. And if anybody's telling you those things, that's a huge red flag and it's uh, time to move on and have a better partner. We don't need to be stuck in all of these old relationships being told terrible things about our bodies. Don't allow that for your life. Yeah, because it's really destructive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, loving you means loving all of you. And when we love all of us, we get to share that with our partners. And if our partners don't love all of us, do they really deserve us? Mm -hmm. And so many women, because there's a lot of different um, smells to genitalia, men and women, they are being told that they smell wrong. You absolutely, if you've been to your healthcare provider, you don't have any type of infection, you don't smell wrong, you smell like you, and that is beautiful. And if somebody's telling you that you smell wrong, and you've determined that there's no infection there, well, that's a big red flag. I hadn't really thought of that. Mm-hmm. And come across that, too. That's interesting. It's, it's, all the, th- I'm sure that you come across a lot of very interesting things in your office. <laughs> <laughs> Things that I'm not exposed to, and I always find very interesting. <laughs> I That's why I love the job, because I meet so many beautiful, wonderful people that we're all just exploring what it means to be a human and a big part of our humanity is that we get to have uh sexual relationships uh, in a much more conscious way than our other mammals and so for that conscious beautiful mm-hmm. experiences then yeah there's so much variation and most of it's very very healthy right and it's interesting when we look back 50 years ago and how sex was very different and treated very differently then to where we are today and the conversations haven't really changed enough to -mm. catch us up to where things are at today. So I hope these conversations over the next multiple episodes 
really help help allow you to question some of the things that you've wondered about, um, allow you to maybe reframe some of the things that you were thinking about yourself or your partner or discussions that you're going to have, or that they allow you to explore something new and have some fun and not be afraid of that. And know that it's totally okay. And actually not just okay, but freaking amazing. And you should go out and have fun mm-hmm. and enjoy it. Just be safe. And start to have those weird and wonderful conversations. <laughs> because <laughs> this is such needed. a great uh, way of being like, hey, do you know what I heard today? And start into that and talk to your partner. Like it's so easy uh, once you have like that initial, hey, I heard this to get the ball rolling and have those conversations. Or, hey, do you want to listen to this podcast? This was so crazy. I can't believe they talked about this stuff. And then you can have a very, very easy, open, candid conversation because it's all there on the table. You get to pause it and then have that conversation and start again that leads to another really cool conversation. Yeah. And the beautiful part of having these conversations is that, again, you are so vulnerable in those moments with your partner. It is such an incredible connection that you get to experience with that person. Mm-hmm. Mm, I like the connection. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for being here, Megan. What a pleasure it has been, and so eye-opening. <laughs> So eye-opening. Thank you so much for having me. And I just, I love talking about sexual health. And I hope that uh, was very clear. I'm really glad there's people like you out there helping educate and provide an environment that allows no shame and us to really be owning who we are in a very healthy way. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Well, beautiful peeps, that concludes our first episode of the sex series. And I hope this has left you thinking. I hope this has given you some information that allows you to expand some of your current ideas around sexual health. Um, As the episodes, as the series progresses, we're going to delve into a lot of different things that may even just challenge your current state of understanding with your own sexuality and how you choose to express that. So I'm just giving you the heads up. Really, I'm just giving you the heads up. This series has got a lot of really great, juicy stuff coming up. Um, We have interviews with a few sex therapists. We have some fascinating concepts and constructs which we will talk about and why we believe the things we do when it comes to sex. So stay tuned for the next six, seven, eight episodes, whatever this is going to be, and strap on down. Strap in, strap on. (laughs) Have an absolutely extraordinary week.